Welcome to Junior Doctors Corner, the podcast that helps medical students and junior doctors like yourself not only survive but thrive in your careers. We cover topics including doctor well-being, career, and life outside of medicine. My name is Dana and I am your host for this podcast. Are you ready for a healthy dose of support, motivation, and inspiration? Then let's start this episode stat. Hi guys, hope you're doing well. Welcome back to another episode of Junior Doctor's Corner. I know we've covered the topic of burnout in the past, but I really wanted to share with you the work that Dr. Amy Ems has been doing. She has a very structured program to help doctors prevent and manage burnout. So I hope you benefit from this episode as much as I did interviewing her. Hi, Dr. Amy Ems. Thank you so much for joining me on Junior Doctor's Corner. Thank you so much for having me. So for those of our listeners who haven't had the pleasure of knowing you or meeting you, can you please tell us a bit about yourself? Sure. I'm a a doctor, as you know. I live in Hobart, uh, which is getting pretty cold now at this time of year. Uh, I live in a little treehouse near the bush and I'm a mother of five. So I homeschool my five children, which keeps me pretty busy. Uh, I love art and I love nature and at the moment I'm lucky enough that I get to basically work in my dream job. Uh, So I started the Burnout Project last year and for me that gives me the perfect mix of clinical work and non-clinical work and creative sort of outlets and, and things. So yeah, it's pretty good. That's really great. Uh, now, you know, you sort of alluded to um, a little bit of uh, your interest in burnout prevention and management. So I was just wondering, um, you know, how it came about, like, um, can you please share with our listeners your story? Yeah. So I think really looking at where it originally came from, it probably even started slightly before I actually started studying medicine. So before I went into medicine, uh, one of my good friends lost her brother to suicide. He was a surgical registrar. Mm -hmm. And when I applied to medicine, my dad had spent quite a lot of time. He's a GP and he really didn't hold back on telling me some of the difficulties and struggles that uh, that you face as doctors. So I knew all of that going in and, and was aware of it. And then I did my six years of medical school and did my internship. And in that time, I sort of re-sparked my interest in that area, I guess, not as something I ever thought I would work with, but just noticing the changes when you see medical students become interns ahead of you, you know, and then you watch them become residents and registrars and you just see those little changes of of their, their behaviour and how they treat people around them and how much they seem to enjoy life and all that sort of stuff. Then I end up deciding to study uh, general practice. So I spent a couple of years working in general practice around the greater sort of Hobart area and really I, I liked it. I really liked seeing patients and building up those uh, sort of long-term relationships. And I, for some reason, seem to attract a lot of mental health patients. I mean, I know there's a lot of mental health um, out there, so we all do as as GPs see a lot of mental health. Uh, And I, I was particularly interested in the category of patients that I was seeing who weren't necessarily diagnosable with something like depression or anxiety, but they were really struggling and and how to actually get them help without a diagnosis and also noticing how 
long they would leave it. So when you talk to them, you could see that their struggles had started a long time earlier, many, many years before, but really it wasn't until they hit rock bottom that they would see anyone about it. And so I just got interested in, is there a way to get these people to seek help earlier or, or not? So that was my interest area. And then while I was still working in general practice, that's when I had my own experience of burnout. Uh, so I was working in general practice three days a week. Uh, I had was just sort of getting to the end of nursing my mum through breast cancer and I'd had two aunties who'd had breast cancer as well. I'd had four kids in four years, so I was pretty sleep-deprived and whenever I was at work or trying to study for exams, I was just very aware of what that was taking away from my children and had that sort of competing um, responsibility and desire to do lots of things at once. My husband at that time had also just changed jobs. So he was uh, had started work as a freelance journalist. And so that basically meant that I was the breadwinner. And if you know much about what early GP registrars earn three days a week, that was definitely a struggle <laughs> getting by. Uh, I also had my own health issues and that was making things difficult with work and I wasn't really getting anywhere with treatment. And then at the same time was the anniversary of my best friend dying in a car accident and then one of my patients committed suicide. So it was all these things happening at once and, you know, we all we all often have difficult things in our lives but sometimes when they just all come at a particular time and, and build up together and that's what I went through. And so I really hit rock bottom at that point and I just remember everything was just such a big struggle and, you know, and a big effort and I felt like I'd lost that sense of meaning to what I was doing and, and why I was going to work and um, a loss of how, how good I was at the things that I was doing too and feeling like, you know, am I actually a good doctor and am I looking after my patients well and am I a good parent and would my children be better off without me and all those sorts of things that, uh, that I think a lot of people experience when, when mm-hmm. times are tough. Um, so yeah, that was a really hard time and it took me a while to get through that. And I started questioning everything about what I was doing and what I wanted to do next. And was I making good choices about what I was doing with my life? And so the reason I shared that earlier part about my interest had already been building in, in this area of mental health and burnout. So when I was considering what should I do next, I decided in the end to leave my general practice training program and instead just focus in on that area and see if I could make a difference in something that felt really meaningful to me and something that I could really feel, uh, I guess, more passionate about. And so then that's what I've been doing for the last four years. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Um, You know, it sounds like you had an incredibly tough time back then. And um, it's great to see that someone like yourself, you know, going through all of that and managing to not only come out the other side, you know, um, hopefully a lot better, but also wanting to continue to help others. I'm just wondering, you know, through that process um, of, getting to a better place you know what have you tried you know what have you learned I think it it felt like a very long process at the the time it probably wasn't as as long as what I imagined but it was a long process of of self-examination and and really thinking carefully about what I what I did and what I spent my energy on and 
how I thought about the elements of my life and in particular which parts of my life were optional or not. I realised that there were quite a lot of things that I felt like I had to do that weren't things that I could change. And when I really thought through them, I realised that actually a lot more of them than I thought were things that I actually had a choice about. And although there might have been one option that seemed more logical from an outside perspective, that sometimes those things that everyone think makes sense, like, yes, of course you should finish your fellowship or your whatever it is that, that, that is a sort of natural societal expectation, that sometimes for, for you individually and, you know, for me at that time, sometimes they're not the best choices and sometimes taking a bit of a risk or doing things a little bit differently could be really helpful. So I think that's one one thing in that sort of personal journey that I use a lot when I'm speaking to other people. Uh, Another thing was just finding a few things that work really well for my mental health. It's easy enough to have a list of things that help generally, but we're also different and just finding those few things that are specific to you, um, Mm. that was really helpful for me as well. Yeah. With what's going on with coronavirus pandemic at the moment um a lot of doctors and all health professionals really are at risk of more at risk in fact of burnout than ever um with the increased workload can you please you know share your top tips if you have any others on preventing and overcoming burnout yeah absolutely so i think preventing and overcoming burnout uh, i might just address those slightly separately if that's okay yeah um i think first of all just an acknowledgement that, as you say, the, the pandemic is really hard, that a lot of people are struggling. It's an awful thing. And um, especially amongst doctors, you know, a lot of people are still going out to work and, and exposing themselves to risk of virus or bringing it home to their family if they've got families. Uh, a lot of questions about should I be sending my kids to, to childcare or not? You know, little questions, but they're really big and they're really hard to make those decisions sometimes when the answer isn't clear. Uh, and people who don't have kids are often quite lonely at the moment because, you know, they can't see all their normal social networks. So acknowledging that it is really hard, there's a lot of things that we don't have a lot of control over at the moment. Um, we can't change our jobs necessarily, most of us. We can't change things about the virus or the restrictions. Uh, we can't change the behaviours and comments of people around us um, and for people who are really struggling financially, which I know a lot of doctors are, all those things, there might not be a lot that you can do. So I think one of the things to start off with is looking at, okay, we can't change all of those things, but what can we change? Are there some little things in our life at the moment that we have some control over and that maybe we can tweak a little bit, change a little bit um, to help us cope better through this time? So that's the first thing is working what you do and don't have control over. And secondly, approaching all of that, I would say the number one thing is actually keeping things really simple. So sometimes when people are struggling and they're trying to figure out what to do about it, they start trying to do a whole lot of things all at once or something that takes a lot of effort. And I think it's just far better to have one, two, three things that don't take up a lot of time necessarily and aren't necessarily really big things. But if they work well for you, then being able to do those things regularly uh, make a much, much bigger difference. Uh, When I work with people looking at prevention and looking at those three things to help people figure out where to start looking at what to do, I usually divide it into three kind of categories to choose from. Uh, So I usually get people to pick one thing from the category of physical 
health. So we know there's that big intertwining between our physical health and our mental health. Uh, and so doing something to address that, sleep, nutrition, and physical activity are our main three there. And all of those things tend to have a really immediate effect on our mental health. So we all know how bad we feel after an awful night's sleep. You know, we just feel crabby and irritable and we don't concentrate as well and we're tired. We just feel awful. And the same with nutrition or something. You know, if we have a a really heavy meal or something, maybe we feel just really tired for the rest of the day. And for a lot of people, if we exercise, then we feel really good after that endorphin hit. So choosing something in those kinds of categories, especially if it's something that you know has worked well for you before to make a change in, I think is a really good one to get some kind of immediate improvement that really helps people to feel better. And then getting that immediate positive feedback from making a change helps people to keep feeling hopeful, I guess, that things will improve and that it's worth making an effort. The second thing we're thinking about is probably the most obvious one, which is our thought processes. Uh, So, you know, what can we do to stop that normal process of that um, inner monologue of people worrying and ruminating over things that have happened before and uh, being self-judgmental, all those things that we do naturally with our minds. And one of the main ones there that people have probably heard of is mindfulness. I'm sure you've all heard of it. Um, and that's something that a lot of people have heard of but haven't necessarily tried themselves. And I would encourage people if they haven't tried it to give it a go because it really has, there's a lot of research showing the benefits of it and it it doesn't have to be a big, long meditation kind of practice or anything, but it, it can be something that is just so easily slipped into little moments in the day and isn't something that you have to plan for necessarily or you know become a big big thing it can be done in the car or something like that Uh, and then the third main area that I get people to think about is the way they relate to the people around them and world around them so big one there is our boundaries so especially people who are working from home for example how they're um splitting up their work time and home time so this is probably less junior doctors but Um, people who have maybe moved more into general practice, early general practice or private practice um, who might be doing telehealth uh, from home and working out how to separate that. But in the hospital as well, you know, people around you, are there certain colleagues who always seem to tell you all about the health professionals who've died in every country since last week or something that's really unhelpful and just makes you you worry and spread gossip that isn't really substantiated about things that are going on at the moment. So, you know, if there are certain people that you know aren't providing something healthy at the moment, then working out other ways that I can set boundaries around that. And social media is the other really big one that I think is really important to set boundaries around at the moment and who you choose to follow and unfollow on your Facebook feed when you look at Facebook or something. So, you know, people who are having trouble falling asleep then not looking at the latest coronavirus stats, not looking at social media feeds might be at least worth experimenting with anyway, you know, stopping doing that a little bit before bed. Uh, And the other thing in terms of the way we relate to the people around us is, of course, friendships. Like that's just really hard at the moment, isn't it? It's, it's, It's tricky finding new ways to keep in touch with people that we might normally just run into casually or go out for drinks with or something like that. So that's really hard, but I, I'd encourage people to try to make that extra effort to keep in touch with at least a few people who you're close to, who you feel like you can 
open up to and, and share when you're struggling. Mm. Yeah. So that's sort of the more prevention kind of early mild burnout sort of strategies is just choosing, yeah, one to three of those kinds of things to to experiment with and see if you can establish it regularly. If people have got a really good going kind of moderate to severe burnout, then they're not normally the things that I would be starting off with. So if you're really burnt out, then the first thing really should be seeing your GP. And first of all, have you all got a good GP? We all should have our own our own doctors. Um, but you need to see them. And there's a few reasons for that. Firstly, we're really bad at providing a kind of an, an objective assessment of ourselves. So we need somebody else to assess our safety, assess the severity of what we're going through um, because we just can't do it ourselves very well. And we also need them to consider comorbidities um, or differential diagnoses. So, you know, are, are we thinking that we're just feeling a little bit burnt out or overwhelmed and we've actually got a major depression or, um, you know, some significant anxiety or have we got a severe anemia or early thyroid disorder or something else which is actually making us feel tired and irritable that's got nothing to do with the pandemic at all. <laughs> uh, so that's the first thing is definitely you have to see your GP and, and go from there to begin with. And at the moment with telehealth, then that's probably easier in some ways than usual if you can find appointments um, with telehealth. And through the Burnout Project, um, I do counselling on uh, evenings and weekends as well to try and make that a little bit more accessible to people working long hours. And then after that initial assessment, it's really just looking at not doing some mindfulness and those other things, but what are, what are you going to actually do? What's the strategy to get through those next few weeks? Because when you're really, really struggling, your mental state is, is often so bad that trying anything new or establishing anything new is, is really hard. And, and that initial step of those first few weeks has to be figuring out you might even need time off work. Um, if you've got any, any other comorbidities, you might need uh, medication as well. And looking at the balance of demands and resources. So often when people are burnt out, then the demands put upon them are much higher than the resources they have available. So what can you do in that immediate time to shift that balance a little bit and reduce demands as much as you can and, and boost those resources that you have? And and look at those initial measures. And then after you get through that, that's when you start looking at those longer-term measures, which might be more similar to, to what we talked about with prevention and going from there. Thank you so much for sharing that. That was just jam-packed full of really good advice. Um, so I'm sure a lot of our listeners will be um, getting a lot of value out of that. Um, so we have, you know, sort of talked about the burnout project brought it up a few times now and I'm sure everyone's dying to know what exactly is it you know how can they work with you um what's included in the burnout project the the idea for the burnout project first came from those initial uh, experiences of seeing people with burnout in general practice and one thing that really struck me early on was how often somebody would come but it was actually their husband or wife or daughter or somebody else who would actually either tell me about it first in their own appointment or drag them along to the appointment. And that was when I started to realize that we ourselves, when we're burnt out, we really don't notice it or acknowledge it for a long time often for all sorts of reasons that we feel about like a failure or something like that. And so this was the idea um, to, to help people if they're worried about somebody to actually be able to do something 
practical about that as early as possible. So with the burnout project, there are burnout packages that are available. So if someone's worried about somebody else, then they can go on and order them a a burnout package or we do giveaways as well every now and then. Uh, And so then they can just get it sent to that person and it's completely anonymous unless somebody wants their name to go in it. So this person who's struggling gets this anonymous package arrive and, and hopefully then that's something that can help them to actually stop and consider, you know, am I, am I struggling more than I thought? And are there some ideas here that I can use to start to move forward with that? Hmm. That's, that's really great idea. I mean, you know, it can often um, be challenging for, you know, family members who care about the person that they're worried about, but, you know, actually bring up like, hey, I, I think, you know, you might be burnt out without them, the other person possibly taking offense or, you know, if there was some kind of miscommunication or misperception about the intentions from the other party, that's like a really neat little way to say someone cares about you. Yeah, absolutely. People often are really defensive when somebody first says anything like that to them. And so then it leads to that fear of saying anything. And so it's not an open communication. So yeah, it just sort of removes you that little bit from, from trying to offer somebody help. Yeah. Um, and if any of our listeners wanted to have a chat with you, uh, is there any way they can get in touch with you? Yeah, so at um, theburnoutproject.com.au and there's a contact form there uh, that they can send me an email. Um, So with the Burnout Project as well as the packages, then I also do burnout counselling and we do workshops and talks and and art workshops and all sorts of things that sort of surround this area more broadly of of burnout. So, yeah, please do get in touch and um, a little shout-out to in the packages, in the... uh, larger packages one of our doctors dr leslie gann is an amazing mixed media artist and i have gift cards as part of those packages with her artwork on them so that's really lovely and there's some tea and really nice um soap and and other things like that so as well as the there's a book burn out your first 10 steps so as well as the book and the workbook and a journal and a pen and things there's some really nice things in there as well Wonderful. Now, final question. Can you please share with us one or two things that's keeping you sane during these crazy times at the moment? Yes. Art has been my really big thing. Uh, That started way back when I had twins who never slept, uh, that I was pretty terrible at art back then. But it just became this thing that was just for me, you know. I spent a lot of my time doing things for other people. So, again, now every time I get into a difficult time, art and expressing myself through that way becomes a big thing. Um, A little project that I've had is I post a little photo on Facebook each day just to just my close friends and family Mm -hmm. or something that was fun or I was grateful for or something like that. And it just sort of helps me even on days that really suck to just feel like, oh, now I've got to think of a photo and, you know, just Mm -hmm. a little mental shift as I think, what could I put up there? Um, and I'm lucky enough to live near the bush. Time in nature is just such a big thing for me. So any days that I can, just getting outside and seeing the trees and the birds and getting out of inside with all my children. (laughs) Thank you so much for your time, Amy. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. If you really like that episode, please don't forget to leave a review on iTunes to help a sister out. And don't forget to subscribe to our email list so that you never miss an episode.